It's that time of the week again. You are about to participate in a great adventure. It's that time when the latest episode of Digital Kill the Radio Star drops. Drop? What the hell do you think you're doing? It's time to waste another hour or so with David and Chris. Oh my God! As they spout out more of their worthless music knowledge. I wouldn't do that if I were you. It's time to hear them discuss the music of their youth. It's the gift that keeps on giving the whole year. As well as the music of today. Excuse me while I whip this out. So kick back, relax, and have some fun with David and Chris. Who are those guys? Digital Kill the Radio Star starts Come on, quit stalling! Hello, everyone. David here. Just want to take a second before I introduce our uh, guest on our next podcast to thank everybody for listening. Uh, we've had a really good uh, last couple of weeks as far as downloads go. We want to thank everybody for that. A big thank you to Troy Laquetta of Tesla for coming on our podcast. Really enjoyed talking with him. We hope to have him on in the future. And a thank you uh, to the band Tesla for retweeting it on um, Twitter and posting the, uh, a link to the uh, <clears throat> episode on their Facebook page. Really appreciate that. If you can, uh, give us a follow on Twitter at Digital Killed. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram, Digital Killed, the Radio Star Podcast. And you can also subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Earpeeler. And uh, we would really appreciate that. If you get a chance, uh, drop us a review on one of those platforms and send us a note letting us know that uh, you gave us a five-star review. And we'll put a little something in the mail for you to thank you for your uh uh, review really do appreciate that. So our guest this week is Greg Renoff. Greg is a author who I guess about two years ago wrote a uh, book called Van Halen Rising, and uh, this book got a lot of uh, press and publicity when it came out because Van Halen is is notoriously a band that's very tight lipped. Uh, they do not do a lot of press. There's you know there's a lot of things in their past that are that. Um, uh, People just don't know for sure what all happened uh, because the the members of the band are so tight-lipped. But uh, Greg was able to get uh, really good access to the people that were around them at the time. And uh, this book is really good. It I think it ends at the end of their first tour uh, when they're getting ready to go in the studio and record Van Halen 2. But it's a really good book. Chris and I have been wanting to have Greg on ever since we met him last year at the Rock and Pod Expo. For whatever reason, we just couldn't make it work. But he was gracious enough to sit down with us, I think, for about 15 or 20 minutes at the Expo. And uh, he has a new book coming out. I'm not sure when, but it's going to be a biography of Ted Templeman. Ted uh, famously is uh, was the producer on a lot of the hit Van Halen albums and has had a really good music career as a producer so uh, as with all the uh, interviews from the podcast expo uh, audio is a little rough at times because it's just such a loud environment to be recording in so uh, 
if you could be paid, please be patient with us for that. This is probably the last of the podcast expo interviews I released for a while. We have four or five more. I just don't want to bombard everybody with five or six in a row. So Chris and I should be back uh, next week. We have a topic picked and we have been working on it. And so uh, we look forward to talking to you guys next week. Until then, here's Greg Renoff. This is David and Chris, and we're back again at the Nashville Rocket Pod Expo 2 with a guest that uh, we've literally been wanting to have on here for a year since uh, the last uh, expo we met him. Uh, we'll, we'll say Dr. Greg Renoff. Nice to meet our you first, guys. Our uh, first PhD candidate on the podcast, I mean PhD uh, recipient on the podcast. Um, Greg has written a just a wonderful book called Van Halen Rising, and if you're a Van Halen fan out there, it's hard to get good concrete information on these guys because they go deep into they go deep into the bunker and there's a lot of myths, urban legends, what have you. And he wrote this article, this book, from an interview's perspective. A lot of times when you read a book on say like Guns N' Roses or whatever, they kind of gloss over the the early years. Well, you spent a lot of time on the formative years and through. I think correct me if I'm wrong. It ends with the, the tour of the first album, right? Yep. So. Let me ask you this: How did you become a Van Halen fan? Was there a moment like where you were like the light switch came on? Or? Well, yeah, the uh, moment for me was I saw the jump video on MTV. So it was January, February, nineteen eighty-four. Like half the other kids in America turned on MTV and saw this video, and I said, "Wow, this is really cool." And I would say I probably had heard "Pretty Woman" on the radio, but it didn't really register with me. Um, I was fourteen at the time, and I just loved it. So actually. What I did was, I didn't have enough money to buy the record, which was probably $8.98 at the time, for the Van, for the Van Halen uh, cassette. So I bought the single, which I think was like $2.49 or something like that, so I bought the jump single. And I'm playing on the little record player in the house, and you flip it over, and there was a song on the B-side called House of Pain. And, you know, I had some exposure to, to hard rock music from my uncle, who was uh, probably like, 12 years older than me, I'm 26, 27, so he kind of came of age in the early 70s and knew about Mountain and Almond Brothers, so he kind of told me a little about those bands that may have played something for me, but when I heard Eddie Van Halen play guitar on 1984, the, the last song on the album, the House of Pain, the B-side of, of the Jump single, it just you know, kind of blew me out of the water, even more than Jump, I mean, because I would heard Jump and I liked Jump, and I was like, oh, I like the song, but I was like, wow, listen to that guitar playing, it's amazing, it's amazing. You know, it was so loud and heavy. Everything was so in your face with the way that album was mixed and everything. And that kind of launched me on my way. And then I saw the 1984 tour uh, in New Jersey on April 2nd, 1984. I scalped a ticket, went to the show. My mom drove me, you know, came back and drove, like went, had dinner or something, came back at 11 o'clock and picked me up. And, and that was it, on my way. How'd you get the idea to write this book? So I had been a major consumer of rock magazines as a kid. Circus Magazine, Hip Raider, all the guitar magazines. I play guitar not very well. I don't play much anymore. Yeah, so I just sort of hacked around and I you know, could kind of hack my way through the Van Halen songs, but I was never like the guy in the neighborhood who could play Eruption or anything like that. Never like that. But I read all the interviews and uh, life goes on. I became a historian and I had a break coming from work where I had gotten tenure at the university I was working at and I was going to have a sabbatical, which is the time off, and you, you work on a research project. And I had a I had a conventional academic research project, but I had a little bit of time. I didn't have to get started right away. So in that first summer, 
summer of like 2010, I started thinking like I want to do something just for, for me, for fun, to kind of blow off some steam and kind of get out of the, the college professor mode but still do something with history. And so I, I, I did a little looking online about, about Van Halen's uh, club dates. I was curious about that because I felt like everybody knew about Sammy Hagar and about how Van Halen became a platinum band from the first record doing so well. And so I did a little looking around and I found they played some nightclubs around Los Angeles and they kind of all went back to when I was a kid reading like, oh, about Gazzari's or the Starwood Club or the Whiskey. And I was like, oh, okay, what's all this stuff? What's all this about? And I ended up talking to a couple people on Facebook and and, uh, searching for Van Halen. One guy in particular who was a club owner we won a club called the Rock Corporation in Van Nuys, California, and Van Halen played there and did wet t-shirt contests there. And so he told me the story. You know, he's like a hotel manager or something like that. He's like a general manager of a hotel now. He's like, yeah, man. He's like, that's what happened. <clears throat> Excuse me. I was running this club and we were losing money, and Van Halen was one of the bands that played there. And we, my, my co-owner and I, came up there and did do wet t-shirt contests in the bar and told me about how when Van Halen was playing, the cops came in after they've been doing it for a couple weeks. The cops learned about it. The vice vice police in, in Los Angeles came in the doors of the club and shut it down. When Van Halen was on stage, I was like, well, that's kind of a cool story. And I went back and looked at some of the older interviews with Roth, and there was one in particular that he did, he mentioned that it happened. I was like, okay. And so that's sort of how it started. Uh, just kind of ball rolling and then really understanding that almost nobody knew much of anything in terms of detail in terms of how the band got started, how they formed, beyond sort of the, you know, what Eddie and Alex may have said in an interview here and there, or what Dave might have said in some interview about how they met. So I, I just started digging more and more, and it went from being sort of something that was going to be like a little article for Van Halen News Desk, my favorite Van Halen website, to something where it became bigger than that, and just that's how the book sort of took off. Yeah. So when you start researching on it, are you getting any pushback from their account at all? You know, my, my strategy for that was to kind of stay clear of them until the very end. So, you know, if you're Neil Strauss and you've written books for, you know, you want to do a book and you've, you've, you've written for Dave Navarro and Slash or whoever else, it's like, you know, you call up the Van Halens and you say, hey, I want to do a book, and they might say no, but at least they'll take you seriously. I'm, I'm just a guy uh, who's a Van Halen fan, who's a historian, and so I, I wanted to kind of stay off their radar. And so a lot of the people I was talking to hadn't talked to them in years, obviously, like, oh, yeah, I went to high school with them, or, yeah, or they hired me, I hired them to do a backyard party, or my band played tons of shows with them. Here are the Flyers, but, you know, I, we never got famous. And so I, I never got any pushback from anybody in the Van Halen camp. In fact, I asked those guys at the end of the process, Alex, me, well, Eddie and Dave, and they turned me down, but there was never any, it was just sort of, Eddie's not available for an interview, or Dave's going to pass. Okay. There was just, you know, so, no. Well, when I'm reading the book, probably one of the biggest takeaways for me is, look, I know, I've always known David Lee Roth is not Paul Rogers, but reading the book, what kind of came to light is, he was kind of a joke. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that kind of came across as surprising. Yeah, the thing that, that really became clear to me as I talked to people who grew up with the Van Halens was that Dave was this guy who was seen as kind of a eccentric, glammed up guy who didn't fit at all with what the Van Halens thought was cool. So the Van Halens are much white bread, like they're into Black Sabbath, they're into uh, 
Mountain Grand Funk Railroad. You know, and Dave ended up being bused to a different high school in town called John Muir High School, which had a heavily black population. The high school it was actually from, from from actually from forced busing, where the federal government said we need more black students here, more white students here. They bus students around. Dave got bused to a black high school, and he loved all this. You know, David Bowie and James Brown, all the stuff that the Van Halen's were like. They, they didn't like David Bowie. They didn't think like guys wearing lipstick was cool. They thought that was weird, right? You know, so you have this guy who starts his own band, Red Ball Jet, and they do think it's a joke because Roth is not Paul Rogers. Roth is not a guy who has natural singing talent, but just being persistent, he ends up getting to a position where he gets asked to end join the band and becomes, in a lot of ways, the driving force to help him make it. So yeah, I, I, you know, I came away with enormous respect. More than even for the Van Halen from David Lee Roth, because you know people were telling Eddie and Alex you're good from when they were very little, and they were, and they deserved to hear that you're good. People were telling Roth, you can't sing, man. Give it up. Like you're never gonna make it. Like you're never, you know, it's a joke. Uh, one of my favorite stories from the book was a guy I interviewed. Again, it was a guy who, who I sort of worked my way through the, the network of people. Was a friend with Dave in high school and said, like, we go around the lunch table in middle school. What do you want to be? I want to be an astronaut. Oh, you know, okay. You know, and no one, no one, like, no one laughs at that. But when it got to Dave, I want to be a rock star. He said, middle school people were like, That's a, they thought it was so ridiculous. It's like, what do you mean you want to be a rock star? I want to be like Alice Cooper, man, or whatever, he said. They thought it was crazy, right? That sort of, it was more, it seemed more plausible that someone would be an astronaut. Then become a rock star, and so I got the gig because of a PA system, right? And that's yeah, and that's the other thing too is that you know he he was persistent, and he got the Van Halen to see it his way, basically. Like you need me, and look, I I've had numerous conversations with people that there's no question that Eddie and Alex, because they were so talented, would have had a career in music doing something. Would there have been a Van Halen without David Lee Roth? It's hard for me to imagine that they would have been able to do that. I mean, tons of records, as we've seen these record bins here at this, this show come out, maybe got some good songs on it, they just don't connect, right? There was something about Dave and Eddie together, the whole package that made that Van Halen record so magical, the whole whole thing, and so, you know, kind of one without the other, it's kind of hard to imagine them making it, uh, but yeah, in the, in the initial goings, it was, we need this guy because I can't sing anymore. And hopefully he's going to get better. And he did. He got better. You know, he, he moved over time. But, you know, he sort of had that stigma that he was not a, a great singer because compared to Ian Gillen, to Paul Rogers, to Robert Plant, I mean, if you listen to bootlegs of Dave, I mean, he doesn't sound like those guys. Like, he's not a he's not a classic, classic rock. I mean, like, in the 70s, sort of obviously great voice. You know, he was just sort of a guy of warbly pitch and sort of all over the place. Had his good times. And, Bad nights, but he was not a guy who'd walk away going, that guy's a natural talent as a vocalist. Fast forward to the Van Halen record coming out, of course, the way that Ted Templeman produced Dave and what Dave delivered on record, it becomes very much distinctive. You know, everyone sees Dave sings, you're like, that's David Lee Roth. And that's the thing, too, that Dave had going for him. But ultimately, that kind of was the trump card for him was that he was distinctive as a vocalist, where a lot of guys, and there are plenty of great singers on these records and these bins, they sing better. They've got better pitch, they can better vibrato, whatever you want to say, but they don't sound distinctive. They're just like, they're like every other hard rock singer. They're like, oh yeah, they can sing high and they can scream, but Roth was like jumped out of, oh, like Eddie's guitar or something. Like, oh, that sounds cool, that's different. No one sings like that. Have you been surprised at the response 
book because I remember when it first came out, I think you were on uh, Mark Striegel's Talking Metal yeah. early on, and I think he had you back a time or two. Uh, I, I heard you on several podcasts, and the book has just got rave reviews. And I, I feel like you're the only person that really was able to get a lot of the. And it's not a salacious book at all. I mean, there's no, there's not any dirt in there. I mean, it's just, you know, I'm sure that could have been, but. There were a couple stories that were a little questionable. I wasn't sure they were true or not, you know. Sort of like, you know really story, maybe. Yeah, yeah. there's a couple things. I mean, yeah, I mean, yes, you're right. And I mean that. Normally yeah. when a book's like this, there's a, there's a salacious <laughs> chapter or something in there that hits the headline. And I feel like this one just, the word, just word of mouth. Yeah, the book itself, I, I think one of the things that I work with ECW Press, they're an indie press, and they don't have, they did a great job promoting the book, don't get me wrong, but they don't have the muscle of, like a St. Martin's Press, something like that, where they have 20 people are gonna do the book. The woman who worked with me, named uh, Susanna, was fantastic, and we sort of, but it was a lot of like, kind of grinding away with podcasts, and sort of emails, and these types of things to kind of get people interested in it. But, you know, the, uh, the thing that really, I think, like you're saying, went on board, it was word of mouth. I mean, that's what it comes down to. I mean, you can push a book out in the world, push a record out in the book, and get people to buy it. But at some point, it's like movies. You know, people after a while, the most reliable thing they have going for them is when their friend says, you got to check out that movie. It's really cool. You know, because you're like, or believe, right, they believe your friend, then the review in the newspaper or something like that. So the word of mouth was a big, was a big thing. But I was, you know, of course I was surprised that it, that it uh, had some legs because I didn't really have tremendous expectations. I didn't, look, I thought it was great. I wrote this book about Van Halen and I wanted to read it and I liked it. And I hoped other people would appreciate it for what it is, but you know, you don't walk around going, oh, you know, one day, whatever, this is gonna happen. So Ted Templeman book is next, right? Yeah, so Ted Templeman's authorized biography is the next book uh, and in the, final stages of finishing the manuscript and then there's going to be about an eight to a one to a year process to edit it and then get it out but yeah so that's the next the next thing so got to know Ted, got to know Ted doing the Van Halen book and just a great guy super humble and had a really interesting life story beyond being a record producer he had been a recording artist in a band called Harper's Bazaar in the late 60s they were kind of a soft pop band and did that and then became a, a tape listener at Warner Brothers so long before there were ever platinum records. He was the guy at Warner Brothers who was listening to reel-to-reel tapes and heard this band called the Doobie Brothers and was like, what's this? This is kind of interesting. Brought it to the other people at Warner Brothers and then they went and they up to, up to Santa Cruz and signed the Doobie Brothers and the record came out, Ted co-produced it and sort of that was a step along the way. So yeah, and there's a there's a lot of, of, of pieces in terms of his his life that I thought were, kind of went beyond the sort of the things we think about with making records and sort of the, made it for a, a, a more than just kind of a conventional music, like a band bio or something like that, you know? Well, Greg, um, we like to finish up every episode where we do a rapid fire. Okay. First thing that comes into your mind, Chris, you want to go first? Unfiltered, huh? All right, yeah. What, uh, you have a favorite album? Not, not just Van Halen, anything. Is there, is there a favorite album? The one I was said earlier today would be my Desert Island one these days would be uh, For Those About to Rock. I, uh, like so many other people, you get so burned out on Black and Black. No offense to Black and Black, but it's just, you know, you're so saturated with the radio every five minutes the song is on. And then to hear uh, the follow-up record, 
when I play that, it really is just gives me chills. The whole thing from the beginning with the the cannons to the to the, to the, the last the end of it. I, I love that record. I'm a Power Ridge guy. Yeah, Power, you like Power Ridge? I love Power Ridge. Yeah, I mean I love the Bon Scott too, stuff too. I came, you know, my the first ACDC on my radar was ever the was Back in Black sort of that stuff. Your favorite Van Halen album, not named Van Halen One. Oh wow. Uh, you know, I'll say right now I will say Diver Down, which is. I really, I hate when people trash Diver Down. Uh, it's got a unique sound to it. Yeah, and it's, it's to me, I always say people don't get it when I say that sometimes, but it's to me it captures the essence of Van Halen. They took any, they took everything from a 1920s big band jazz song to an instrumental by Eddie Van Halen to a, a disco song, Dancing in the Street basically, and made it sound awesome. I mean, you know, so that's for me is what I always say that is not appreciated about Diver Down. There's too many covers. Well. No, Van Halen was a cover band, and they started, and this is kind of what they did anyway. It made them cool was their ability to take a cover song and make it their own. So I love Diver Down. Favorite band not named Van Halen? Oh, God, that's really hard. I probably, I'll go back. So the first band I ever really fell in love with as a kid was The Doors. So in 1979, 80 was when No One Here came, Gets Out Alive came out. I guess 80 it came out, and I, I had this uncle who kind of clued me in. I don't remember how it came up, but I was like, I talking about this book or something I heard about and he's like oh Jim Morrison the doors they're cool and so he was my kind of like my family idol and so kind of he's like yeah you should get a you know, go get get one of the doors records I bought the tape and listen to it so doors yeah favorite Van Hagar oh well probably my mm, probably the uh, foreign lawful bar knowledge it's now I, I probably at the tech in the 80s it was probably uh, OU812 Greg, uh, like I said, we've been wanting to have you on here for a while, and when the new book comes out, we'd be glad to uh, Skype with you a little bit longer. Of course, of um, course. It, like you said, the book is called Van Halen Rising. Go look at it on Amazon, look at the reviews. Uh, it's a great book. You're going to enjoy it. I'm sure that Ted Templeman will be yeah. Do you foresee this being a, uh, not necessarily a, another Van Halen book, but do you foresee another band maybe getting that treatment? Uh, you know... Yeah, I have a, I have another book kind of in my back of my mind of what I want to do. I don't want to kind of no, let her out of the bag yet. But yeah, this one for me, yeah, the, the Ted Templeman book, it, it'll, it'll. I think for people who like Van Halen Rising, I think it'll give a, the back end of the story for a lot of stuff because Ted was involved with the breakup of Van Halen and how that all stuff went down with Sammy and Dave. Obviously, Ted going to the record. So I hope for me, it, it, it also gave me access into the, the Van Halen story while being broader than just that. So one last quick question. You spent most of your life in academia. Do you do you get weird looks from? I, I can't imagine a lot of history professors, you know, are breaking Van Halen. Well, you know, yeah. So I don't really consider myself a professor anymore because I'm like, don't do it anymore. But yeah, I was, you know, it was always for me something that. I didn't like spend a lot of time at work talking about like how I love Van Halen. You know, it wasn't part of the, you know, the academic culture is not, you know, uh, really well well uh, equipped to to, to uh, embrace that. But uh, I think I think there were I think when the book came out, I'm sure there were people who were like, really? but what I, what I think is interesting, I had a lot of professors in pharmacy school that obviously, you know, for PhDs. When you started finding out about them, they all had little hobbies. Like I had one that loved the fence. It was like yeah. a great fencer. Right. And 
and one that was just enthralled with playing golf in, uh, in England, so much so that he went and taught in, uh, in Scotland, you know, yeah. for a year or whatever. So, anyway, Greg, uh, we really appreciate it. Like I said, the book is fantastic. Uh, we both bought it last year and, and have read it. And uh, when the test element comes out, we'll have to I'll be back. have some more. Again, the book is Van Halen Rising. The man is Greg Renoff. Thank you guys for listening.